This is LJN Radio, and welcome to Moving Up the Ladder. I'm your host, Tim Muma. Now, in a moment, I'll be speaking with a talented individual who has quickly ascended to the role of CEO for a software-as-a-service company out in Seattle. Her name is Sarah Bird, and she'll join the show to talk about her path, how things have gone as the company's CEO, as well as what she can offer up to the other professionals out there, both women and otherwise. Sarah, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. And we're looking forward to it as well, uh, you know, obviously getting into your career a little bit and maybe some advice as well. But I did want to start with your specific career. When you were starting in particular, what were you really interested in doing, looking to accomplish? Take us back to that time. I wish I could say that I was one of these people who had sort of a guiding light and a North Star from an early age. I know people in my life who, from a young age, they knew they wanted to be like a veterinarian right. and then they go to school, vet school, and then they become veterinarians and they're very happy doing it. Um, <laughs> but I had no clue when I started my career what I wanted to do. I was interested in getting health insurance. My student insurance <laughs> was running start. out and I just wanted health insurance. And I, knew, I mean, I knew I also wanted to have an impact, but I never had a clear view of mm-hmm. what I wanted to do with my career. And in a lot of ways, frankly, I still, I still don't. I mean, I look forward to working for many, many decades. I like to work. I enjoy it, but I, I don't have a clear sense of in the you know long, long run, what is that going to look like for me? Sure. There are some things I do know um, that I, I, I know that I want to learn, be constantly learning. I know I want to have impact. Mm-hmm. I know I want to enjoy what I'm doing. And I know that I really, I get a lot of satisfaction by working with a great team of people who together we can build something bigger than I can create by myself. You know, I get a lot out of collaborating with with individuals to build something with big impact rather than I think other people who enjoy sort of I want to work something on my own, solo craftsmanship. I'm definitely more of a team person. Well, that's interesting as far, as far as a background of where your mindset has been. And I think it is cool to for people to hear that someone who is successful like yourself still doesn't really know exactly what they want to do, because I'm sure a lot of people are in that same boat. Now, you did go into law, correct? Originally? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I did. Yeah. When you started there, I mean, you can talk about in detail a little bit if you'd like. When you started there, then you made this switch in your career. I guess uh, I was curious how that all went about. There's a lot of things I liked about practicing law. I like justice. I like helping people. It's a great way to have impact. I mean, you, right. you're in a very privileged position that you get to help people with their most intimate and important problems, right? When someone's talking to a lawyer, it's a non-trivial matter to them. And, and that's, uh, that's really motivating. It makes you want to work hard. There are other things I didn't like about practicing law, mm-hmm. though. Um, first of all, I didn't feel like I had tons of autonomy because your schedule is definitely not your own, sure. right? You opposing counsel files a motion and you have certain days to respond and that's life. You know, you, you have no control over when your client gets arrested or when, you know, other sad, tragic things happen right. for your clients that necessitates your sudden action. There are some other things about it, like the kind of lie I was practicing was very geographic okay. bound. You start to build, you know, a client base, which is good. You want to, but it occurred to me how incredibly geographically bound that was. Hmm. Um, and I had always had this idea of myself as sort of a a world citizen and and wanted to leave myself open to possibilities of can I take my career with me all over the world someday and uh, you know general practice law that's definitely not the case <laughs> and then and then on a more personal level you know the environment that I was working in the firm I was at had great attorneys they were great at their jobs mm-hmm. and people worked hard but it was not great at leadership or team building. It was the kind of environment where it was not infrequent to have people cry, leave crying. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, and it just just hurt feelings. Mm -hmm. I think that in the law profession in particular, it gives short shrift to being a great 
leader and a great business person. It's not the same thing as being a great attorney, but attorneys often overlook that. Sure. I don't think there's a lot of discussion about, hey, how do you build a great team in law? At that point, too, I was so junior in my career, I didn't know how to, how to even go about implementing change, organizational change and cultural change. So I, I kind of copped out, right? I had these other things about the profession that was giving me concern right. and uh, things around my autonomy and lifestyle. And, and also, I had this environment that I, it wasn't really consistent with how I wanted to be in the world, right? And I didn't know how to change that. So I left. And let's talk about that as far as that switch that you made. And uh, yeah. Obviously, going over to uh, Moz now, what was kind of the process of that? What did you end up yeah. doing there to start? And I guess just take us down that path a little bit. So I consider myself a, a serendipitous entrepreneur because it definitely, it wasn't in my plan, you know, I'm going to transition from law and go to tech. Right, right. Um, it was a, I gave my notice at the law firm and then just kind of put my faith in I'm going to find something else to do. It was, I gave a long notice period because I had trials and things to finish up. Mm-hmm. I wanted to care for my clients. Luckily, you know, I was right when Rand Fishkin and Jillian Musig, the co-founders of Moz, were starting to do some fundraising, their very first round of funding to build this tech product. They said, hey, you know, you're free. Why don't you come and join us? We're about to take this business in a different direction and take it to the next level. And, you know, I am thrilled to say that we were all so naive that that sounded like a really good idea. <laughs> Sometimes that <laughs> like, works to your benefit. I, it totally does because I would never today advise someone who is in the early stage of their startup. I mean, I was the eighth employee. I would never have said to someone, oh gosh, you should really hire an attorney in your first like dozen people. Right. You know, absolutely not. That's not the advice I would typically give, especially since I had no background in technology or mm-hmm. running a business or anything, right? So thank goodness we were naive in that way and didn't really understand what we were embarking on. What we did know is that we had very similar values and that we were hardworking, that we cared about how we work in addition to what we did. And I think we just shared this sort of optimism and, you know, love of all things geeky and technology. And and so we would just knew it'd be like fun to work together, really. So when I first came to Moz, my title was general counsel. Okay. And we knew that wouldn't even full 100% of my time. So the plan was that I would also do some legal blogging. Mm. Blogging has been a big part of our community and our culture for sure. a long time. And it became clear within like, you know, the very first early months that there was a lot of work to do <laughs> that wasn't typically just legal work, but that I, you know, when you're, what's the great thing about a startup is all hands on deck and it doesn't matter if you have background. If you see a problem and you have passion around it, you can take a shot at solving it. So I was in this wonderful position of having this early stage company that had all kinds of great problems to solve. And I was allowed to go in and learn about pricing and learn about wireframing and building products and customer discovery and finances. And I also did less glamorous things like collating employee packets and <laughs> you know, cleaning the kitchen. Right. And, um, you know, it's not, it's definitely not all glamorous, but I feel like I was given a ton of opportunity and then just took, you know, just took advantage of it because there was just not a lot of people to, to do the work. You're a small company and there's more work than people. So within six months, that made me, they made me chief operating officer to sort of reflect how broad, you know, the things that the, my activities actually were. Right. Only a sliver of my activities were general counsel and eventually became the president and now the CEO. And that's where I wanted to go with it next. I and mean, you mentioned there some of the, you know, a lot of the grunt work you were doing. And as you mentioned, a lot of startups, that's how it's going to be. Did you ever at that point when you signed on with them that did you think you'd become a CEO there or anywhere? Did you have visions of that 
kind of long-term scope or was it just something you went by day by day? I definitely never had visions of being the CEO of a technology company. Right. Uh, when either I didn't have that in college. I didn't have that in law school. I didn't have that when I joined Moz. I didn't have that probably until maybe a year and a half before I took the reins okay. at Moz. And it was a sort of slow process of me recognizing what could be possible and letting go of, I had you know, pretty typical, I think, hangups that many people suffer from in their career where they think, wow, I don't have a, the background in that. So I must, I'm, I'm not qualified to do it. Mm-hmm. Sort of, I'm not qualified to do that. I don't have that experience. And so that just even limited my thinking about what could be possible for a long time. And, you know, Rand is a great, is a great person and a great CEO. And so it just didn't occur to me, we'd get a new one or need a new one. Sure. And it was really that the, so the transition itself, you know, I, I think it began slowly in Rand, and he started sort of mention it kind of jokingly, like, oh, that's why you should be CEO, and <laughs> kind of offhanded right. remarks. And, you know, it was a tough time in the company's history. And so I, and hearing those, would kind of chuckle and you know, be flattered. I was like, that's sweet, but we already have a good CEO, so we're fine. And I, I took it more of, I assumed it was him feeling self-doubt mm. about his own capability. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to I didn't want to participate that. I think he's great. I think he can accomplish anything he wants. And I think he could be a great CEO, right? So I was, I was pretty quick to sort of shut down those conversations as he was sort of jokingly kept popping it, popping it up. And then over time, I, I started to even hear from other people, sort of mutual friends and advisors, like, hey, Rand was saying you should be CEO. And it was at the point where it was clear it was not just him joking yeah, because <laughs> I was hearing it from others. Right, right. I was like, gosh, he's kind of talking about this a lot. I need to go really figure out what's going on here because I don't want to validate his inner critic, but, but I also really need to understand what's happening with him. And so then we had a scheduled a deeper conversation and I realized that I had been pretty kind of patronizing by not really listening to him. Hmm. Um, I, my intent was good, right? right my intent right. was to show support, but the, I think the impact is sort of assuming that I know better than he does what he wants and what's good for him. It was good. It was a really good conversation that he, he really was having this epiphany about where he wanted to spend his time and the kind of work he wanted to do and what lights him up. And he was also, you know, trying to tell me that he was acknowledging strengths in me that he thought the company really needed right now. So that's when it became more kind of concrete, like, oh, sure. okay, this could really, this could really happen. And this could be great for Rand and great for me and great for the company. And we started making plans to put that in motion, right? What would have to happen in order to make this transition successful for everyone? Truthfully, it's very fascinating to hear the process that both of you went through, uh, whether it was on his side and his perspective of things and feeling like it was time to move on. And and then from your point of view, as you said, you didn't want to necessarily cater to what he was talking about because from your perspective, oh, he's just kind of having some doubt and that, that makes sense. So, you know, we don't always get to hear that inside story. And I'm sure those conversations you had, as you said, were, were very good and uh, full of interesting information. So I appreciate you bringing that to us. We will get back to some more details regarding Moz and, and kind of what went into that. But I wanted to look at it from more of a broader scope for yourself. We do a lot of shows that discuss women in general as far as the employment spectrum and hiring and, and success and all that area. What challenges did you notice in your career, especially we're talking about industries like law and tech, where, of course, females are still in the clear minority? What challenges did you notice coming up? To begin this conversation, which I'm fortunate, I get to have pretty regularly since there aren't a lot of women leaders Mm -hmm. in these professions. And so it's a good question to ask and to grapple with. But I I always feel like I want to preface it with acknowledging that my, I would be so sad if my personal experience got 
somehow mistaken for every woman's experience, sure. right? Mm-hmm. And so I just like to remind, you know, your listeners and everyone that, that everything I say doesn't discount anyone else's experience. And I know that. For example, I know that some women have had such really blatant, obvious, you know, terrible sexist interactions mm-hmm. with people of power in both the legal industry and the technology industry. I have been lucky that I haven't had those same kinds of experiences. I've had, I could count on, you know, maybe one or two hands, very subtle, slight, you know, someone calling me a girl in a conversation Mm. kind of things, right? Um, But nothing, I never felt like I was denied funding because of it or not given a shot at something or not taken seriously. I have felt more that my lack of, this is my first company, right, I felt more right. that, you know, in the early parts of this company, before we've had the success we enjoyed today, I felt people not taking me seriously because I had nothing to show yet for my mm-hmm. <laughs> effort, right. but it, it never felt because of my gender. You know, I know that that one of the reasons that I am lucky is because I have surrounded myself with people who, who care a lot about equality and judging people by their impact and not on their gender or their race or their beliefs or other physical, you know, physical type characteristics. Uh, or the background. So I I know that I'm privileged in that way, right? I mean, my community is not the same as other people's community in the tech world. And that is certainly also intentional to the extent that I know I want to work with people who share my values. Mm -hmm. So I I haven't run into it very often. In fact, I feel, I feel even especially since becoming the CEO, people are just rooting for me. They just want me to succeed and they want Moz to succeed. And they feel, um, a lot of times I think people feel a sense of relief when I'm in the room or on a panel because I, my experience is that people, um, leaders in this industry, they don't like that there's a gender imbalance. Sure. They're not proud of it. They know that it doesn't meet their ideal vision of you know, what this world should be like. And so when I'm in the room, I think it helps them feel like, okay, good. I can't be, we can't be that terrible. I can't be that terrible because, <laughs> you know, like we're doing something, there's some change. And I think they're just rooting for me. At least that's the impression I, I get. I also acknowledge, you know, I grew up in a house. Uh, I had three brothers and I was the only girl for a long time. Ah, yes. My little sister is 10 years younger than me. And so it is, very natural for me to be surrounded by boys <laughs> all you know since birth <laughs> so that, i think that also impacts the sort of things that i don't see mm-hmm. right, in my my own experience and what feels normal to me compared to other people now you mentioned it there at least as far as in your industry how you know maybe there's this sense of like calmness and relief that there are people like yourself who are in these positions of power what do you see though as a role for someone like yourself or other women who have been successful in these again, male-driven type industries, to be that role model, to speak out, to help in some sort of way. I know I've come across numerous areas of research where it says it's not that women aren't going into these areas, but that they end up leaving after a number of years because of kind of the idea of the boys club and, and, and the issues that come up there. Do you see yourself as having a role model type position in that way? Absolutely. I, I take it very seriously. And it's oddly enough, it's not, it's something I, on a personal level, I have two kind of conflicting feelings. On one level, there's a part of me that says, gosh, I don't want to try to represent all women Mm -hmm. or that my experience speaks to others. And then the other hand, equally strongly, I feel I am in an incredibly lucky position and it is an honor and a privilege to be able to serve as a role model and an example to anyone who needs that, anyone who needs to see what could be possible for women or or any other represented minority in this industry. I, I feel just that as a real 
it's a privilege, it's an honor, and it's something I feel obligated to do. Even if there's that small part of me that's like, I'm just me. I don't want to. I don't want to be bigger than that. Right? Right. I don't want to represent anybody for anything. It's I'm just me, and I'm my own weirdness. Right. So I, on a personal level, I'm very committed to activities where I can speak to, inspire, encourage unrepresented minorities and women to um, enter tech or you know any field where they currently feel shut out. You know, so I can also speak about law, as you mentioned. I never turned down an opportunity to go to someone's school <laughs> and talk to their class of mm-hmm. eighth grade girls on you know computer science or whatever it may be. And we have a lot of programs. You know, in Moz that we we are committed to to try to encourage women to to succeed and to really fulfill their potential, including you know offering everyone professional coaching and sponsoring programs like Ada Academy that trains women in a second career um, to be programmers, um, sponsoring that program and um, employing their interns and hiring them full time. Sure. Something I'm really passionate about. So there's any number of ways I think you can have impact, and some of it is really small. And some of it is is bigger. And every day, I also, I also try to remind myself on the interactions I have with with women and underrepresented minorities in particular is to always ask them, well, why not? Why not you? Why can't you do that? What's mm. stopping you from doing that? You know, why why don't you start a company? Why are you waiting for a company to go join? <laughs> you have a great idea. Right. It's great. Go start it. Because I think that we don't hear that message enough. I don't think that I heard it enough. Mm-hmm. It didn't enter into my consciousness that that's something that I could just go do until you know embarrassingly late in my. <laughs> In my career. Well, and I think it's great to hear, uh, you know, with a lot of the, the studies that I've seen, it, it does talk about how, whether it is, you said, women, minorities, wherever somebody feels underrepresented, they just don't have somebody to look up to, to say like, oh, well, I can't do that. Look, it's all people that look completely different than me. So I think, as you said, the impact can be small in just speaking to somebody or it can be big in that, that grander scale. Sarah, I've really enjoyed our conversation. We're starting to get low on time. So unfortunately, we're not going to get to everything I had hoped. But I wanted to ask, in terms of the position of CEO over at Moz, what concerns did you have sliding into the role or what areas were you excited about? Just to give the listeners a sense of the responsibilities and the accountability you have to take when you get into a position like that. I, I love this role and I love this company. And I have been fortunate that in transitioning to this role, not a lot of it was a surprise mm-hmm. for me. You know, A lot of times I get asked this question in terms of what about this transition has met your expectation and what has been surprising about it? Right. And what have you really enjoyed? You know, there's many aspects of the role that I was doing already for a long time, which is why it was such a natural fit for me to take on the title, right? And so I have continued, it's, it's actually, it's been exciting how in some ways it's been easier to be a leader because I no longer have to rely on just my personal influence mm-hmm. to accomplish change and to help people grow. I also have the title, so that simplifies <laughs> that <always> things <laughs> pretty, pretty easily. Um, and so it's just been a real, it's just been a real blast to engage with the leadership team in a different kind of way, and to help help give them clarity um, and make things simple for them uh, in terms of the direction they need to head. And it's been so much fun listening and learning from the leadership group because they relate to me in a different way as well. And getting everyone on the same page and excited about the long-term future and working in the same direction. So I've spent a ton of time in this last year of getting my extended leadership team, listening to them, helping sort of simplify and distill the best ideas, getting everyone behind the same program of our long-term future and our short-term future, mm-hmm. and watching them rally around common problems and solve them. At the same time, I, I acknowledge that 
there's sort of everything in life feels like a double-edged sword. It's like on the one hand, I'm so proud of, you know, we got so united behind our problems and we're all heading in the same direction and we've made progress. On the other hand, patience is always a challenge for me, right? Because nothing happens overnight. Right. Nothing great happens overnight, I should say. Little things happen overnight. <laughs> nothing great happens overnight. And greatness comes, I believe, from all these small incremental changes adding up over time, right? It's you, you get a little bit better every week or every two weeks. Over time, that amounts to something amazing. Um, but you have to be patient to let that come to fruition. And when you spend so much of your headspace in the visioning, you know, in the visioning world and sort of thinking about what's going to be possible for us and where we're headed, it starts to feel so real and so exciting to you that you just want to skip to the end, right? You just want to skip to like, Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> let's just get through all these steps and get to that awesome place where I know we're headed. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I think that that's one of the the challenges of being a leader is that you have to spend so much time thinking about the future and talking about the future and you're excited and have passion about the future, but also, you know, live in the reality of here I am today and what can I do today to help my team be their, their best selves and accomplish more today and have patience for, you know, the gap between here and now. Right. We're down to about 30 seconds or so. If I gave you the floor to give some piece of advice to a listener out there who is looking for a job, they're looking to advance, they're not sure what they want to do, Take it anywhere you like. What would you like to leave our listeners with? I would say speak up, speak up, speak up and take the initiative. Don't wait for someone to tell you to do it and don't be silent. I think that where I see the most high potential people limiting their careers is because they are afraid to speak up or they're waiting for permission to do something. And the people I see will have the most success. Just take the initiative when they see a problem and they talk about it and they learn how to advocate for a change. Um, and that's something that I had to learn over time. And it's probably the biggest thing that has um, you know, increased my impact. So speak up. That's what I would say. And then finally, if where you are is toxic or it's not helping you achieve your potential or you've stopped learning, change your environment. Don't waste your time, right? Change. Make a change. It's within your power and see what becomes available to you. I don't think there's any reason to punctuate that. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge and experience with us. Thank you, Tim. I really enjoyed it. That will do it for us here on Moving Up the Ladder and our conversation with Sarah Bird, CEO of Moz, which is a software as a service company out in Seattle. We thank her for joining us and talking about her career a little bit, as well as some general advice when we're talking about employment, job seeking, and all of our careers. If you'd like to get in touch with us about this show or any of our other shows on LJN Radio, just send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com, or you can find us on Twitter at the LJN. Also, check out all of our shows on iTunes. Go ahead to the iTunes store and search LJN Radio. For everyone here at LJN Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody. <laughs>